Amen. All right. Good morning again. I was up here about 15 minutes before. This is like sermon number two. All right. Hey, glad you're here today. Thank you. A great crowd. We're looking forward to having dinner afterwards. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. So we were done with, with Stormproof Lives, and we have a little short mini-series here entitled Thanksgiving 101 and talking about gratitude and how that interlocks with generosity. And by the way, in case you missed it, that song went right along with Alabaster Box. You know, the, the tie-in there was real beautiful, if you'll see it. And we're going to talk about that alabaster box even today. Well, here's what's funny. So, I'm studying last night. A lot of my big study, my last-minute study, occurs went Saturday, in case you're wondering, Saturday night and early Sunday morning. I'm still working on getting it all in my head and all that. And I happen to look at my sermon sheet, and David gets a copy of my sermon sheet, and that's how he kindly puts all the scriptures and quotes and all that in there. So I'm looking at the sermon sheet last night, and the sermon title was supposed to be How to Have, you saw it there, How to Have a Happy Thanksgiving Christmas. Okay? That was the sermon title. Well, I looked last night at my sermon sheet, and in one of those moments when, you know, you get 65 and you don't type what you think you type, and what I typed was, Have to Have a Happy Thanksgiving Christmas. So I'm going, oh my. So I text my brother David last night and said, hey Dave, I don't know if you noticed or not, but that's supposed to be how to have a happy Thanksgiving Christmas. And uh, so would you change that you know, to, to that? And he wrote back and said, boy, I hope I can remember to do that. And then I thought about it and I said, don't change it. <laughs> that works really good. Because, you know, there's one level about how to have a Happy Thanksgiving Christmas, a thankful, joyful Christmas is where that's going, okay? You know, how to do that, is, that's pretty good. That's power. But, but what if, instead of how to have, what if we had to have? What if, what if we could not go through Thanksgiving and Christmas without having the kind of Thanksgiving Christmas that God wants us to have? How, what if we had to have, we have to have a happy Thanksgiving Christmas? I like that better. I like that better. And, and here's the deal. You know, how many of y'all ever been to Cold Stone Creamery? A few, yeah. Isn't that a good place? Isn't that good? Well, the other day, um, we were in Paducah, Kentucky, and um, we were shopping and stuff. Judy and I were. And we had ate, I think we'd eaten out at Olive Garden, I believe. And um, so, you know, I really watch what I eat these days. I really refrain from food. And... So we're driving towards Sam's, and Judy says, oh, look, <laughs> a burning bush. <laughs> what hinders me from turning aside? And so she said, oh, look, there's a cold stone creamery. <laughs> and she said, I think we ought to stop. And I said, now, Judy, you know that's not on my diet. I refuse to go to cold stone creamery. Oh, you know that's not true. That wheel, it's like, like, like an angel or something took a hold of the wheel. Woo! Just like that, baby. I turned that sucker and she didn't have to ask me twice. And we went in there and, you know, Coast, here's how it works. They have, they have premium ice creams, okay, like about 25 flavors of premium ice cream. I mean, the ice cream itself is good, okay? But then you can add all these toppings to it. Okay, you can add all these different things on top of your ice cream, and they on a cold stone, 
cold stone. They, they, they put ice cream there, then they dump these toppings on there, and then they got this big metal thing, and they chop it all together and put it all together. And that's, that's how it all happens, and it comes together. In our case, we had sweet, uh, sweet cream ice cream. That's sweet cream ice cream. And then we added some uh, coconut, and then we added some almonds, and then we added some, and this is all her, not me. I don't do this kind of stuff. Okay? And then she added in mini chocolate chip cookies or um, chocolate chips. Okay? Then you mash that all together. Let me tell you what you got. You, you got shoot that thing. Okay? What you got is a cold almond joy. That's what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Well, boy, it was awesomely good. But it's the toppings that made it all come together. Okay? Now, this... This outline and the sermon, it may be kind of like that. It might be kind of eclectic, okay? But at the core, you've got this wonderful, going to be ice cream, and then we're going to sprinkle toppings all of it. We're going to learn about the importance of repentance. That's one topping we're going to look at. We're going to look at the the beauty of, of generosity and gratitude. We're going to do that. And then we're going to put the last topping on, and we're going to look how that can apply to our lives. How can we, how can we be uh, generous and grateful, not only Thanksgiving, but this Christmas? We're going to close with a video at the end. And uh, Nancy, no, who's back there? Nancy, are you back there? Don't let me forget that video at the end. Uh, I might have a tendency to do it. Don't let me, don't, don't, I don't care what David says. If, if I say let's pray and have the invitation, don't you let him do it, okay? You make sure we play that video, all right? Because it's the whole deal, all right? Very good. Okay, so what we want to do is... We want to start looking at this ice cream. We got the base ice cream there. Okay, so so here's the deal. It was my privilege this week um, to be one of the presenters. Ron Reed and I were the presenters of the gospel at the end of the deal. Okay, when they came to the judgment house, then we got to present the gospel. And I think we had um, George. Am I close here? Seven hundred thirty-two people, twenty-one salvations, and ten rededications. Is that right? Yeah, ain't that awesome? Yeah, you clap. Come on. Yeah. So. So between Ron and I, you know, we presented the gospel to 732 people. Okay, that, that's how it worked out. And, and you kind of find a, a way to do it, introductions and all that. And my introduction kind of settled on this. Um, you know, I talked about the fact that the reason we do Judgment House is because we want everybody to go to heaven. Okay, we want everyone to go to heaven. But I said more importantly than that, God wants everybody to go to heaven. God will, and the scripture I used was this. Um, it was Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So He's not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to go to heaven, and that's why He provided a way for every person to choose. Heaven, to choose Jesus, okay? And that's what, that was my point there. And, and what I said was, is this. I said, so here's the deal. God wants you to go to heaven, okay? And I'm pretty sure I haven't met too many people who go, nope, not me, baby, I want to go to hell. I want, I want to fry for all eternity. Sounds like, sound like a deal to me. No, no. The truth is, God wants us to go to heaven, and we want to go to heaven. And so I said, so what's the deal? What's the problem? And the first thing I had on my screen there was the problem is sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? And God cannot allow sin or anything imperfect into his heaven. 
So we had, he had to come up with a way to make it possible that we could have that sin taken care of. And that's what we talked about the rest of the time. And that's where, that's where 2 Peter 3.9 comes in. When it says, he's not willing that any should perish, okay, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance really is you agreeing with God about sin. And it's a big deal. We don't talk about repentance a whole lot, and we really should. You know, the simplest illustration, but it's not really a good one, it really is that I'm going this way, and I turn around and go this way. Really, repentance means a change of attitude. A change of attitude. We, we change our attitude towards sin. We change our attitude towards Jesus. We change our uh, attitude about the way we get to heaven. It's a total change of attitude. And I love this because he says, you know, not willing that, that, all, that all should reach repentance. You know, that song that you part you didn't hear, and, and I'll, again, I'll try to watch our time today, but, you know, it says real quickly, you know, to the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who hunger and all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who fail, you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down all the lost who have been found all who've been labeled right or wrong everyone who hears this song come to the table he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come should reach repentance repentance is a big deal okay now there's a great verse in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 it really is a good verse here's what it says paul writing to the church of corinth says this for the kind of sorrow the kind of repentance, the kind of sadness that God wants us to have. Wait, wait. God wants us to have? Yeah, God wants us to have. See, there's two kinds of sorrow when it comes to repentance. There's the oops sorrow and there's the brokenness sorrow. See, there's the oops sorry sorrow and that's, that kind of repentance is, oh, I got caught. Or if I, if I did mess up, well, you know, I'm kind of sorry about it, okay? That's the oops sorrow. But the brokenness sorrow is what we're going to see in the sermon today that is just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And it's what we need to do to be saved. If you didn't experience genuine repentance in your salvation experience, I'm going to tell you most likely to not get saved. You may have got religion. You may have gotten some habits taken care of. You may have went from sad to some kind of happy. But repentance is a key ingredient in salvation. So he says there's a kind of sorrow God wants us to experience that, here we go, leads us away from sin and results in salvation. That's the kind of salvation, that's the kind of repentance I'm talking about. It leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret. There's no remorse. Uh, you don't find people going, you know, the worst decision I ever made was to follow Jesus. The worst decision I ever made was to turn from my sin. You just don't see that. And Paul says that. He says, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, the oops sorrow, I need religion sorrow, okay? That, that kind of sorrow, the worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Ooh, big difference. And that's what we see today in our scripture. In Luke chapter 7, it's one of the accounts of the alabaster box story, okay? And this is the one the song references, okay? And you'll see why in just a moment. You'll remember the words in the song, and you'll line up with this. So we have two people 
in this story. Actually, we have three people, obviously. We have Jesus, okay? Okay? And then we have two people. We have one who is a professional religious, okay? His job is being religious, okay? If you were to ask this guy we're going to talk to, so what do you do for a living? I'm good. I'm good. That's what I do. I'm just good. I do. I'm a religious person, and I do good. If there's a rule to keep, I'm going to keep it. I'm good. The other person, an exact opposite, is a professional sinner. A professional sinner. And why do you say she's a professional sinner? Well, every indication is she's a prostitute. She worked at the local brothel. Okay? So isn't that not a contrast? We've got a Pharisee, a professional religious person, and then we've got this professional sinner, a prostitute, who works down at the local brothel. Okay? Now, we're going to see how they interact with Jesus and the kind of repentance that they experience. So it starts out in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 36. Okay? One of the Pharisees, okay, and his name is Simon. One of his Pharisees, one of the Pharisees, he's the religious good guy, okay? His, he's a professional religionist. He's, his job is to be good. His job is to do good, okay? One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, okay? So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, this is so unusual because, you know, the Pharisees weren't exactly Jesus' friend, Okay? You know, there are friends and there are friends. Well, this guy was neither. The Pharisees, by and large, were the enemy of Jesus. In fact, the Pharisees were going to be the driving force in the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay? So, you might be sitting there going and going, now, wait a minute. Okay, so why, if, if the Pharisee group is largely an enemy of Jesus, why would Jesus have dinner with them? Oh, that's easy. Because, see, Jesus seeks out sinners. Whether they look like a prostitute or religious person. Jesus doesn't care what kind of clothes you wear. He doesn't care if you wear a coat and tie to church or if you wear a scanty skirt down at the brothel. He seeks out there. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I have an amen? He really did. So, so you know, it didn't matter. You know, I love this. Jesus would go to the house of a brothel to, to tell someone about Jesus. But he also would go down to eat dinner with a Pharisee. And that's exactly what happened. And what's funny is the Pharisee probably thought, okay, that, that he was doing Jesus a favor. Simon probably was going, well, you know, he's a young prophet and, you know, young teacher, we'll, rabbi. We'll invite him over for, for dinner. We'll kind of coddle him just a little bit. And what he didn't realize was that he wasn't doing Jesus a favor, that the favor of God was looking him in the eye. The greatest opportunity... Ooh, ooh, ooh. The greatest opportunity he would have in his life was looking him in the eye. But of course, now he didn't see that, you see, because of his job. He was professionally religious. He didn't need a savior. He didn't, in his eyes. He didn't need a rescue because his job was being good. I love this song, the words, you know, we all start on the outside. The outside looking in, this is where grace begins. We're hungry, we're thirsty, with nothing left to give on the, sh- oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hopes seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Now, here's the amazing part. Simon was at the table. In fact, he owned the table. Okay? But really, Simon was on the outside looking in. 
Spiritually, Simon was on the outside looking in. So here's the setup. A Pharisee, probably wealthy, religious, his job was being good, invites Jesus over for dinner. Now what you need to understand is the houses in those days weren't like our houses. Um, they had no windows. Glass was not a deal. Okay, so the windows were open. And usually the doors were swung open so, so everyone could look in. So, so what would have happened in an event like this? And again, just this event. The fact that Jesus was there did hurt things. But in an event like this, okay, there would be inside the table, there would be the insiders. They're the ones invited. And all the wannabes would be on the outside. All the poor people. All the castaways. All of them would be looking in on this group of people, the in crowd. Wanting to be there. Longing to be there. Certainly if they were hungry, hoping that someone would toss a bone outside the window. That's the state that they were in, as the song says. So, so we have the doors open, windows open, and that sets the scene for our professional sinner to show up. Here's what it says. In verse number 37 of Luke 7, when a certain, and here's how we know, here's how we know, when a certain immoral woman, some, some translations didn't use the word prostitute, but there's no doubt she was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman of loose morals. She was a prostitute. So when a certain immoral woman from that city heard, heard that he was eating there, she didn't go to Simon's house because of Simon. She went to Simon's house because of Jesus. Okay, all right. So, so when she heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Wow, wow. So she has this jar, and inside this jar is this very expensive perfume. And, and I love what the song said. Robin just did an incredible job of that. Okay, you know, you don't know the price of my alabaster jar. Well, well let me set this up for you. Okay, in this time and in this period, first off, um, she had customers. She didn't have friends. She had customers. She didn't have friends. Most certainly, her family disowned her. Her family disowned her. Okay, there, there's no safety net. There's not a department of of children and family services. There's not a public aid program. Okay. You are what you are and you have what you have. So what is inside her jar? It was the one thing she owned that she could liquidate for cash. It was her safety net. It was her security. It was her security. So when she brings this jar, it is great sacrifice. It is great sacrifice. She's putting it all on the line for this man, Jesus. Okay? So, in verse number 38. Keep it in mind, the doors are open, the windows are open. It's not a problem. Then she knelt behind him at his feet. Now, now what would happen is they'd have a low table, something like this. They'd have a pillow. You prop your pillow up on that, or your arm on that pillow, and you kick your feet out. So you weren't sitting at a table, uh, even though it uses the word sit. You were reclining at the table. So she comes up, she'll be, if his legs were like this, she would come up behind him, okay? So she came up behind him at his feet, weeping. She was crying. Now, well, let me just go and read this first. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off 
with her hair. And we, we could spend some time talking about the symbolism of that, but we won't do that. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept on, and I, I got to this, and I just pondered it again. You know, there's one person whose feet I would kiss today, and that's Judy's. And that was only after a shower. Okay? So imagine, imagine, you don't know this guy from a distance, and his feet are filthy. They wore sandals, okay, and his feet are dirty. Now, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, ordinarily, they would have been a little bit cleaner. But because of what did not happen, they are filthy. Okay, so she takes her tears, and they fall on his dirty feet. She takes her hair and begins wiping these feet, and then she begins kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Wow, what a scene. What a scene. Now, here's what I was going to say, and then I stopped myself. What kind of tears were these? What kind of tears? I, I don't think tears of remorse. I don't think tears of grief. I think tears of joy. I think she's overwhelmed with gratitude, not grief, not remorse. What do I want to make you say that? Well, I discovered something, and I even checked it this morning to make sure I knew what I was talking about. But I read in a commentary, and then I did a little more research on the Internet. Here's what's so cool. Okay, so... There's a thing called the harmony of the Gospels. And when you weave the story together, you get a clearer picture of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the order of events and how they happen. Okay. So, here's what precedes this scene. Here's what precedes the dinner before Simon. In the same area, Jesus is doing some teaching. Anyone who's teaching? Let me read it to you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He taught Matthew, he spoke Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. And there's a good chance. Now notice I said, I know I'm speculating. There's a good chance that this is what she heard. Because I'm going to show you in a moment... Apparently, she's already been forgiven. So there had to be an event where that happened. Okay? Now, here's a woman who has been used used and abused all of her life. They've disowned her. They scorned her. They looked down upon her. No one cared for her soul. And then she hears a young Jewish rabbi say these words. That just, over, that just overwhelms me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Can you even imagine being a woman of this statue in this situation where no family, no friends, your only security is a little bit of ointment that you've got in a jar, that's all you have, and a, and a man speaks to you, not, abuse, not abusing you. But a man who loves you and speaks out and says, Come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. That's so powerful. So powerful. That's why I think these are tears of gratitude. 
He, he, she would have heard him say, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest. Ma'am, you won't find abuse. Ma'am, you won't find pain. Ma'am, you won't find distress and discornment. You won't find that. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that's true, And there's a high probability it could be. That explains the tears. She was so overwhelmed with this man who loved her like that that she comes and brings the most precious thing she has. And then she comes and anoints his feet. See, when we have that attitude, Brent, it changes us. When, when we understand, when we understand what Jesus did for us, it changes us. All of a sudden, we're glad to kneel at His feet and kiss His feet. We're glad. See, unlike Simon, who thought he was doing Jesus a favor by inviting him, it's, it's, it's unlike that. We have this woman, and we should too be like this woman, kneeling at His feet, kissing His feet. Because one day he looked us in the eye, those of us who know Jesus, and said, come to me. All you who are a woman taken in adultery and burdened, and I will give you rest. Wow. How powerful. I think about the woman taken in adultery. The one they were going to bring to the circle and stone. And when he said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Wow. I think about the woman at the well who he encountered and started a conversation with and said, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're speaking the truth. You've had five husbands and you finally gave up on marriage and now you're just living with a guy. But that day she met Jesus. That truth, that truth spoke to her heart. And that day she met Jesus. I think about the leper who comes to Jesus and said, would you heal me? And he goes, yes, I will. And that man's life was forever changed. I think about Nicodemus, another Pharisee who came to Jesus by night, perhaps because he's afraid of the Jews. And in the process, he gives up his professional, I'm going to be good, and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Wow. What's your story? What's your story, Charlie? What were you before Jesus? And I'm going to tell you today, and I'm going to prove in just a minute, that whatever he did for you, it's worth kissing his feet. Whatever, whatever he did for you is worth you bringing your alabaster jar and breaking it at his feet and giving it to him. Well, Simon's not of that opinion. He and I would have disagreed. And verse number 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. Now notice he said he saw this. Because let me just tell you the truth. He didn't see the woman. See, people like him didn't see people like her. People like him did not see. See, that's the problem. That's the problem with the church. Because we're professional religious people and we don't see the broken and we don't see the hurting and we don't see the ones that the world despises. That's the problem. We want to judge and cast rocks. Well, he didn't see her because she was invisible. I had a young lady in one of my crews. 
I just happened to be, he, she was dressed, you know, kind of far out, you know. And she said to her, I assume her mom, you know, I'm invisible, nobody sees me. And I happened to hear her say that. I followed her out. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, no one sees me. I'm like, I don't exist. Now, so let me tell you something. You exist to God. And he sees you. And I want to tell you something. God sees this woman. And God sees you. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he were a prophet, oh, now Jesus got downgraded. If he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a prostitute. She's a professional sinner. Here's the beautiful part. He did know. And it made no difference. He knew and it made no difference. Watch. She was the kind of person... He was looking for, not avoiding. He was the kind of person, she was the kind of person he was, she was looking for, he was looking for, but not avoiding. And church, that's our cry. We don't look for people that the world avoids. We look for people that they want or we want. We don't want to avoid people the world throws away. We want to embrace the people the world throws away. And here's the deal. He wasn't avoiding her. And he won't avoid you. If you're here today, if you are here today, I want you to know something. Like I told that young lady, God sees you. I want you to know something. God loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long your sin list is. I don't know what your habit is. I don't know what your addiction is. I don't know what you do on the internet at night. And I don't know what you've done in your past. God's looking for you. He sees you. And he loves you. Well, I find it so interesting in Luke 7, 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Isn't that scary? Jesus answered his thoughts. I love that translation of that, okay? Simon, he said, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Luke 7, 41. He told him a story. A man loaned money. This was in our songs today. A man loaned money to two people. 500 denarii, or pieces of silver, to one, and 50 denarii, or pieces of silver, to the other. But neither of them could repay them. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. That's, that's a picture of our salvation. See, a denarii was a day's wage. So one person owed 500 days of work. Another man on 50 days of work. It was a debt that neither one of them could pay. So the debtor kindly, the, yeah, the debtor kindly, kindly forgave that debt. Kindly forgave. That's what God did for us. It isn't, look, it doesn't matter if your debt was 500. It doesn't matter if your debt was 50. He forgave them both. And then Jesus asked the question. So, Simon, you know, which one loved him more for that? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, that's right. That's right. Let me tell you something. Here's a truth that's going to help you this morning. The only debt to God that matters is yours. It, may, it does not change your status at all. In God's eyes, when you say, God, I'm not as bad as she is. Them being worse don't make you any less worse. 
I mean, how many sins, I asked this question on one of the nights, how many sins does it take to send you to hell? That would be one. So before you get all puffed up and say, I go to church, I, you know, I do this, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional religious. Hey, dude, if you've got one unforgiven sin, you're on your way to hell. You're going to fry. Simon, the professional religious person, didn't even understand that. So Jesus, in terms, he can understand, well, obviously the larger debt. But we've got to understand the age of grace is that any debt not paid is a debt that will send us to hell. We need to understand that. And by the way, that will keep you from being so prideful. When you start to understand you are a sinner saved by grace is what you are. Okay? Don't care how good you were before you got saved. Don't care how good you've been since you got saved. You are a product of God's amazing grace. That's what you are. That's what you are. So, the greater we understand this grace and its impact on us, the greater our love and service to the one extending the grace. I, I think in Western culture we forget this. The greater our understanding of grace and its impact in our, our sphere, in our world, the greater we're going to be more generous and more grateful for what God's done. That's why. That's why he gives the Lord's Supper. So we wouldn't forget what he did for us. So, we end verse 44. So he turns to the woman. Now, Jesus turns to the woman and said to Simon, look at this. I love this. Because he says, look at the woman. Okay? It's like, Simon, you've never seen her before. Because she's not like you. She's invisible because she's not like you. And I know people like you don't hang with people like her. But Simon, look at the woman. Look at the woman. And he starts this comparison thing. Okay? Here's, what, here's how it plays out. When I entered your home... Now, this is Simon. Look at yourself. This is you. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the feet from my, dust from my feet. A common courtesy. His feet were so dirty because Simon didn't have a slave clean them. That was a great insult. Okay? So, so my feet were dirty because, again, you had no one to wash it. But she... Now, look at her. Look at her. She has washed them with her tears. And wipe them with her hair. Hey, Simon, take a look at yourself. Look at yourself. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Common courtesy. Men would greet men with a kiss on the cheek. A common courtesy. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But look at her, Simon. Look at her. But from the time I first came in, she has not kissed, stopped kissing my feet. Hey, Simon, look at yourself. Look at you. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But look at her. She has anointed my feet with rare perfume. What a contrast. Simon, I want you to look, I want you to have an honest look at you and an honest look at her. The contrast is black and white. He offered nothing. A simple invitation to dinner. Probably thinking he was doing Jesus a favor. He offered nothing. But she offered her all. Her best. What about us? How enamored are you with the Christ of the cross? Does it still move you that he forgave you? When you come in here to this thing we call worship, what's on your heart? Are you a professional religious person? 
Or do the words sometimes, or, or the Holy Spirit just grip your heart? You're just overcome by what Jesus Christ has done. We should never get over Jesus. We should never get over Jesus. We need to get over our religion, but we should never get over Jesus. He goes on, I tell you, I tell you, her sins, and there are many. Again, she was a prostitute. You wouldn't want your 16-year-old son to date her. There's no mention of marriage because nobody wanted her. There's no marriage of no mention of marriage because no one wanted her. Hmm. That is, but Jesus. But Jesus. I tell you, her sins, and there were many, have been forgiven. Past tense. See? See? That's why I'm thinking something's already happened. That's why I think there was a, a Matthew 11 encounter. And if not that encounter, some encounter where she saw this young rabbi and he looked into her eyes. And for every man who used her, here's a man who loved her and forgave her. Come on, y'all. Accepted her. Healed her. Here's this bruised woman beat up by the world. And Jesus says, come. And he did that for you. He did that for you. And by the way, he wants to do it for all those people out there in the world. You know, the guys that live two blocks down from you and they're crackheads. He wants to redeem them. He does. He's in the redeeming business. And because he's in the redeeming business, we should be in the redeeming business. Her sins are many, and they've been forgiven. And I like this word because in some translation, it kind of implies that she's forgiven because she loved him so much. That's not it, and that's not true. Okay? She's forgiven, and we're going to see at the very end. She was forgiven for another reason. I love the way this is worded. Um, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So, therefore, so she has shown me much love. She did what she did tonight because of what I've done for her. Well, that'll preach. That'll preach. She did for me because of what I've done already for her. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And that's the Western culture. That's where so many of us are in our church lives. We forgot what Jesus did for us. We forgot what Jesus did for us. Can I say it one more time? We forgot what Jesus did for us. Because there's some litany of sins that you have not done, you think somehow that you didn't need as much of God's grace. Well, let me tell you something. Take the worst sinner in the world, and they need as much God's grace as you do in your short sin list. I'll guarantee you that. Amen. One, one hell, one sin will keep a man from heaven. It doesn't matter how long your sin list is. Well, that's, it's good. <laughs> this is good. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, now, when you said her sins are already forgiven, and they are, he's now proclaiming publicly what happened privately in her heart. I like this. 
He's performing, he's stating publicly what has already happened privately in her heart. And I think it's somewhere down the line. I don't even know if there's a slide for it. But here's the deal. He was not afraid to claim her as his own. He was not ashamed. He's not ashamed to claim you. Would you, can we get that buried in our heads? Those of us who suffer with low self-esteem, who wonder how good God loves us because we're not skinny enough, not tall enough, not holy enough. I want to tell you something. He's not ashamed to call you His own. This is powerful. This is, this is life-changing. Your sins are forgiven. Then the other professional religious people sitting at the table decide to chime in. The other religious people at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? You know what Jesus' response to that was? Nothing. Not even worthy of a response. And Jesus said to the woman, not your service, not your love, your faith has saved you. Now, I know, he would say, that your life has been a war zone. You've been bruised and rejected. You've been used and abused. But go in peace. Just like the woman taken in adultery. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I wish we could get that in our hearts. Every, every, every one of us deserved to be in the circle surrounded by a bunch of Pharisees, drug into the circle of sin, them wanting to stone us. And every one of us, by God's grace, could hear these words. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter what your wife or husband. It doesn't matter your neighbor, the boys at the club. It doesn't matter what they say about you. They tell what matters, what God says about you. And God says, God says, God says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Wow. And, and this... And this happy Thanksgiving Christmas thing happens. The ice cream with all the sprinkles happens when we understand what Jesus has done for us and we are filled with gratitude, which leads to generosity. When, when we understand and grasp what Jesus has done for each one of us, you don't have to have a testimony. I was a crackhead, been in penitentiary for 20 years. You don't have to have that kind of testimony. You were a sinner. Sinning against a holy God. And he in grace reached down and offered you salvation. And when you chose to believe in Jesus and turn from your sin, he counted your account paid in full. Paid in full. That's how we have a happy Thanksgiving 
Christmas. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, it leads to us bringing our alabaster jar and breaking it at the feet of Jesus. Now, in practicality, what does that look like? Well, there are three ways this Christmas Thanksgiving season that we can bring a vase to Jesus. There are three ways. There's more than three ways. But there's three ways that spoke to my heart about that. So I prepared a little, it's about a five-minute video, but it talks about those three ways where we can bring our vase to Jesus. After we finish the video, our team will come up and we'll have our time of invitation. I'll go ahead and, I'll speak now, so I have to speak then. Okay? Our time of decision is if you're here today, I talk a lot about Jesus. If you're here today and you've never experienced God's grace, if you don't have the assurance that you go to heaven when you die, my brother Grant will be standing right down front, and he would love to tell you about Jesus. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about joining Dorsville Baptist Church. It's not about how good you can be. There's not a giant scale. It's about God's amazing grace, just like he extended this woman. Just like he extended this woman. And Brent would love to share with you about that. If you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, to pray with you, we got some folks who'd love to do that. Just come on down. Just come on down. Are you bruised? Are you hurt? Have you been abused? Come on down. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. And let's pray together. Let's pray together. But all of us have an alabaster base. Some are bigger than others. But all of us have alabaster bases. And ask God to speak to your heart about how you can bring that face this Thanksgiving Christmas season to him. Would you show the video, please?
lives but if we could just stop everything and take a bird's eye view a little higher there now we can see the multitudes we are fueled by a shared vision to bring the name of Christ to those who have yet to hear so we move forward to extreme places corners of the world that have no access to the gospel we train missionaries send them out together and pray that God's grace be known We help the hurting, comfort the dying, give hope to the displaced, and have seen thousands come to faith in Christ. We are able to do so much more together than if we were chasing this vision alone. This is our common effort. Together. As the team comes to sing, you may need to receive the gift of Jesus today. We're here for you. Maybe this video will help you. We have Christmas boxes down here. If you didn't get yours last week, it's not too late. Come get one. Make a difference locally. There's a family you know. Internationally, there's a child who needs your love. And Lottie Moon, missionaries around the world. Let's break a vase.